chapter 11. This is um, a story that's really familiar to us um, if you grew up going to church. If you grew up going to church, like these kids who were up here before, they're going to remember Palm Sunday. And the reason they're going to remember it is there's something physical and tangible for them to hold on to and to see and to do that connects them with the story. But unfortunately, sometimes we uh, are walking around in a sonambulant state trying to remember what things are about. Does that work? <laughs> Try, <laughs> trying to remember these stories and what they're about. And all we really can remember is what we've been told. And so I'm going to read this story to us. You're welcome to follow along. You're welcome just to listen. We're going to be in Mark chapter 11. We're even going to get into chapter 12 some today. And so keep your thumb in your Bible or your Bible app open, whatever you want to do. If you want to read the same version that I'm reading, I read from the New Revised Standard Version. It's just my preference. Um, I kind of like the academic nature of, of this version of the Bible, and so don't feel like you need to read my version. You need to read the version that you prefer that you will actually read. So this is Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. When they were approaching Jerusalem at Bethpage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Just say this, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here immediately. They went away and found a colt tied near a door outside in the street. As they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? They said to them what Jesus had said, and they allowed them to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. Then those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David! Hosanna in the highest heaven! Then he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. May God give us wisdom and courage for interpretation and wisdom and courage as we try to apply the truth of Scripture to our lives. Amen. This week is a big, big week in our faith. It's the biggest, actually. Joey and I were joking around a little last night. He was mostly joking with me. Joey grew up outside of the mainline church. If you don't know what mainline is, that means the boring denominations, Methodist, Presbyterian, Lutheran, Episcopalian, you know, the kind of, I jokingly say the boring denominations. Really, it's all the churches that are on the main uh, rail route in Philadelphia are called the mainline churches. That's true. And so, um, Joey grew, outside, uh, grew up outside of the main line, and he had never heard the word Holy Week. He just said the week between Palm Sunday and Easter. And he was like, we were like, what? It's Holy Week. What? There's a name for that? And so we had this whole thing going on. This is the big one. We sometimes think that Christmas is the big holiday, and that's because people have learned how to market around Christmas. This is it. This is the big week. And really, for me, it's Palm Sunday through Good Friday that are the big part of the week. Easter is huge. But I don't know if you know this, but there are other ancient religions that have 
gods who died and were raised from the dead. That's not an un, it's not an uncommon story within religions. In fact, the New Testament, Jesus raises people from the dead, and there are some that say that still happens in parts of the world, that dead people can be raised. And we believe, as Christians, in the resurrection of the dead, that at some point the dead will be raised. And we believe that Jesus was, but that's not what makes us unique. What makes us unique is this Sunday through Friday. Because no other religion has a God who came to earth and put on the the body of a human to show us how to live, show us how to love, and then to die. That's a big deal. And we need to embrace the darkness and the death. I was in a seminar one time with a film writer And he said that the greatest stories of all time have both dark and light. Because if it's dark, it's just nobody wants a dark story. And if all it is is light, the light is not as bright if there's no darkness. So we have to embrace that. And the reality is that's how our lives work. There is real death that happens in our lives. There is real grief. There is divorce. There is pain. There is cancer. There are all these things that cause us to know that darkness is real. There's terrorism. There's school shootings. There's all of the evil things that happen that cause us to know that death and darkness is real. But what's important is that we know in the midst of that that there is also light. So we're at the beginning of that week. We're on Monday. If you're wondering why these charts are here, we're going to go through we're going to go through Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday of Holy Week today. You've got to come back here Friday to hear the rest of the story and please come Friday. Good Friday is a really important service for us and so I would encourage you to please come. But this is Sunday. And on Palm Sunday, we celebrate the fact that there was a city, is a city, called Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, that's where everything was happening. That was the hub of the known world for Jews back in that day. And this was not just any week of the year at that time. This was the week leading up to, anybody know? Passover. The biggest holiday within Judaism, Passover. And so this day, there were Jews coming in from all over the world. This week, there were Jews coming in from all over the world. It was a pilgrimage. People would go and they would celebrate the Passover there in the hub city for them. And because there were so many Jewish people coming into a city that was occupied by Rome and was ruled with an iron fist by Rome, Rome would send in on a road... Soldiers, if you were standing on the road on this day that they were coming in, you would hear horses clomping. And not just any old horse, they would be war horses, big ones. You could hear the sound of leather armor creaking and saddles. You would hear, armor, you would hear swords rattling. You would hear the sounds of men grunting as they were walking the sounds of feet hitting the dirt. There would probably be dust in the air. There would be people lying the streets to watch. Some of them would be looking on in, on in awe, and some of them would be looking on in fear, and some of them would be looking on in hatred. These men were coming into town to make sure there wasn't going to be a revolt, but additionally, they were coming into town, and they were looking for people. They were looking in particular for one man named Jesus. 
Jesus Barabbas. He was a zealot. We would know him as a terrorist. Except this Jesus Barabbas wasn't the good type of zealot. Jesus had a zealot as one of his 12 disciples, Simon. But this Jesus Barabbas was a thief. He would steal money and give it. Well, he wouldn't give it. He would keep it. No one liked him. But he was working underground, and these soldiers were coming in. They were looking for him and for many other people like him, but they were on guard to make sure there was not going to be an uprising. Some scholars think that it was a planned thing that on the exact same day, potentially the exact same time, that this procession, that this parade, military parade, was coming into town. On the other side of town was another parade. And we know this was a planned parade. It was a political action made by a leader who was starting a revolt, a revolution of love. We know it was planned because he had sent people in ahead of time to procure a donkey for him to ride in on. And then he sent some other men in to get the donkey for him. He goes into town, they get the donkey, they come back out, and they start a parade coming in, and they were waving palm branches in the air, and they were throwing their cloaks down for people to walk, for, for this man Jesus to walk on, and they were shouting out, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna! Blessed is the son of our King David, bringing in this new kingdom. They missed it. They weren't quite understanding that this was a revolution of love, not a revolution of power. But the Jesus that we follow planned this parade. And he was willing to go head on with the power of the day. This was Monday, or Sunday. And Sunday feels like... Well, to me, Sunday feels like anticipation. I'm going to run out of room here. You know what that means. Sunday feels like anticipation. On Sunday evenings, I get my little book and I write down, if I'm doing things the way I should be doing them, I write down my entire week. What's going to happen on Monday? What's going to happen on Tuesday? Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And I write down my non-negotiables, the things that have to get done that week. I put down all of my appointments. I match up my phone with my little book and I make sure everything's in there so that I'm organized and I'm anticipating the week to come. Have no doubt that for Jesus coming into town on this day, for this collision course, there was high levels of anticipation. Not just for him, but for the people who were following him. And the question for us is this. Which parade are we part of? We have a choice, right? We can be part of the parade that's coming in looking for power, which is what the world wants us to do. Or we can be part of the parade who's looking to start a revolution of love. Right, Judy? Sandy, I mean. Which one are we part of? The sermon that is always preached on this day is, there was this parade that happened. There was Hosanna saying on Sunday, but on Thursday they were shouting, Crucify. That's part of the story, but that's not the whole story. I want us to think about which parade are we part of? Which streets are we lining? 
Are we lucky and fortunate enough to be the people who recognize we should be shouting Hosanna because we want to see a revolution of love start? Or are we allowing ourselves to be divided by whatever political schemes are happening? And I'll illustrate to you more. So that's Sunday. This is what happens on Monday. Then they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who were selling and those who were buying in the temple. And he overturned the tables of money changers and the seats of those who sold doves, and he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. He was teaching and saying, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And when the chief priests and the scribes heard it, they kept looking for a way to kill him, for they were afraid of him, because the whole crowd was spellbound by his teaching. And when evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. There's an ancient scholar or ancient historian named Josephus. Josephus was a Jew who worked for the Roman Empire. And he kept record of what was happening in the time. You can read his history. It's called Antiquities. You can read Josephus' Antiquities. If you're interested in biblical times, you should read that. It's not easy, but you can wade your way through it. And in Josephus' Antiquities, he talks about John the Baptist. And he says the reason that John was killed is because he had this crowd of people who were enthralled by his teaching. Did you notice why they wanted to kill Jesus? They were afraid of him because the whole crowd was spellbound by his teaching. They were scared. They were worried that this revolution he was starting was going to take hold. And the reason that he went into the temple and started throwing tables over and wouldn't let people carry things through and he was knocking over the seats of those that sold doves is not because he had a problem with the sacrifice system within Judaism. Remember, Jesus was a really good Jew. Really good Jew. He had no problem with that. The problem he had was that people were using the temple as an excuse for injustice instead of a motivator for justice. They were living their lives one way outside and then they would show up to the temple to make themselves feel better about the way they were living, to remind themselves that it was all okay. We would never do anything like that. God, throughout Scripture, especially in the prophets, is always, always frustrated and angered by injustice that happens. When one person is rising to power by stepping on the necks of other people, God gets angry about that. When one group of people is stepping on the necks of other people so that they can rise up in power, God does not like that. It's all through Scripture. It's not me saying this. It's Jesus and Amos and Micah and Isaiah. And Jesus walks in to the temple. One Gospel writer says he walks in walks out, sits down on the steps of the temple and begins to braid a whip. There's nothing wrong with being angry if your anger is justified and is righteous. When you are in control of it, Anger is a secondary emotion. It's caused by pain and disappointment and frustration and a few other things. Primary emotions. 
anger comes from that. It's a reaction to those things. So if you make a decision, I'm going to be angry about this because, and then you control it and don't let it control you, there's nothing wrong with it. Jesus chose anger, braids a whip, stands up, walks back inside the temple, and starts to swing the whip around as he's teaching and knocking things over. The temple was to be a house of prayer for all nations, and it was. Believe it or not, Herod had built on a court to the side of the temple called the Gentile court. Gentile means anybody who's not a Jew. All nations of the world were welcome to go to the temple and pray. It was a house of prayer for all nations, but they had turned it into a den of robbers. People who were stealing from the poor and making themselves more powerful and more rich. And Jesus was upset about it. Monday, feels like action. Sunday is anticipation for things to come. Monday is when it starts. You plan things out on Sunday. On Monday, you put them into action. Today, you're sitting here knowing what you have to do tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. And Friday, you're going to come to the Good, Eve, the, the, the good Friday service that evening. And then Saturday, you're going to practice grief and recognizing what's it like to live in a world that hope has literally died. And then you know that next Sunday, you'll be back here celebrating that Friday happened, but Sunday has come. But you know what's going to happen. You're anticipating it, and then tomorrow morning, it goes into action. Jesus starts his action this day. It was a planned thing. Don't think Jesus did this spontaneously. He knew what he was going to do on Monday, Sunday as he was coming into the town. And then Tuesday comes along. This is what happens on Tuesday. Then they sent him some Pharisees and some Herodians to trap him in what he said. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are sincere and show deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality, but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. So they were flattering him. They wanted him to know that they thought he was a good teacher. And then they say, Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why are you putting me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me see it. And they brought one. At that point, by the way, he had won the argument. I'll explain why in a moment. Then he said to them, Whose head is on this and whose title? And they answered, The emperor's. And Jesus said to them, Give to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and give to God the things that are... And they were utterly amazed. Good Jews were not supposed to own or hold, or I mean, own any graven image of another god. The Caesars and the emperors were called sons of God. The very first one was said to have been born of a virgin by God. 
Jesus says, Hey, Joe Pharisee, you got a denarius I can borrow? And he reaches into his pocket or cloak or whatever he had. And I imagine he tossed the coin to Jesus and Jesus caught it and looked at it. And everybody knew at that moment that the Jewish man, the Pharisee, was holding and owning an engraven image of another God. And Jesus holds it up and says, Whose image is on this? Got you. You lose. You're holding an engraven image in your pocket. And whose title is it? They don't want to talk about that. So they don't answer that question. He tosses it back to him and says, Give to God what is God's. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, he asked them, Which commandment is the first of all? And Jesus said, This is first. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is this. What's the second? Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Then the scribe says to Jesus, as if Jesus didn't already know this, You're right, teacher. You've truly said that he is one, and besides him there is no other. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength, and to love one neighbor as oneself, this is much more important than all, all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Man, I love that kid. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said, You're not far from the kingdom of God. You're not far from it. After that, no one dared to ask him any questions. Tuesday feels like a battle. It's kind of the day that never ends. Because Sunday there's anticipation, Monday there's action, and Tuesday's just a day. There's nothing great about it. It's not even Wednesday yet. It's not even close to hump day. It's just like, we got to get through this day. When I was in elementary school, I hated Tuesdays because it felt like every year my class on Tuesdays, we didn't get to go to library that day, and we didn't get to go to music that day, and we didn't have PE that day. We just sat in the stupid classroom all day. It never ended. You're thinking kind of like this sermon. It just kept going and going on Tuesdays. Well, Jesus' Tuesday wasn't much better of that week because everywhere he went, they were trying to trap him. Hey, should you pay taxes? Should you not pay taxes? And then this guy comes along, and I think he's genuine. He sees that Jesus is really smart, and he wants to know, like, can I align myself with you? What's the greatest commandment? And so Jesus tells him, this is the greatest commandment. But I love how Mark pairs these two things together because they're paired together for a reason. You give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and you give to God what is God's. What is God's? Our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. Everything belongs to God. So what belongs to Caesar? Nothing. Nothing. Jesus is frustrated because the Roman Empire and the, and the religious 
powers of the time that were in collusion with one another. Could you even imagine that there would be a religious leader that was trying to get close to the top of the power structure of a nation? I mean, come on. Really, that would happen? Never. Could you ever imagine that there was a religion and a government who were trying to work together? I mean, never would that happen. Not in a million years. I wouldn't believe it. Which parade are you part of? Which parade do you want to be part of? Because it just gets tougher. Because after Tuesday is Wednesday. And the only reason people like Wednesday is why? It's halfway. It's halfway. It's hump day. Let's see what happens with Jesus on this particular Wednesday. While he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very costly ointment of nard. And she broke open the jar and poured the ointment on his head. But some were there who said to one another in anger, Why was the ointment wasted in this way? This ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has performed a good service for me, for you always have the poor with you and can show kindness to them whenever you wish, and probably should, by the way. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She's anointed my body beforehand for its burial. Truly, I tell you, whenever the good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. And so we're doing it again today. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray them. When they heard it, they were greatly pleased and promised to give him money. So he began to look for an opportunity to betray him. Wednesday, for me, feels like a commitment. How are we going to finish? How are we going to finish the week? Are we going to finish it strong? Or are we just going to kind of coast through the end? How are we going to live out this life of following Jesus where there's this conflict that happens and it still happens for us today? Living without fear, following Jesus head on into it. And then Monday, there's time, there always has to be action oriented with our faith. And then there's always a battle. There's always this struggle that happens. Which parade do we want to be part of? And then Wednesday comes, and it's time for commitment. Do you know that the woman who broke the jar open and anointed Jesus' body for burial was the first person to get it? She was the first person in all of Scripture to understand who Jesus was and what he was really talking about. History tells us, the the tradition tells us, that she is the first Christian. And we still have denominations who say women can't lead. What? The first Christian leader was a woman. She's the first one to get it. She's the first one to teach it. She understood that there's a commitment that has to happen. You finish what you start. You go through it in a strong way. And then we have Judas. I don't want to... I don't want to demonize Judas... I sometimes feel more like Judas than 
maybe any of the other apostles except for Thomas, or disciples except for Thomas. I love Thomas. But I get Judas. Because I've missed the point a lot in my life. I'll miss the point and start taking action and realize, "Uh uh-oh, that's not what this was really about. 90% of the times that I get in an argument with my wife, it's me recognizing, oh, I missed that. It's just who I am. I think what was going on with Judas is that he was in this second parade, but he thought this second parade was more like the first parade. I think Judas thought that there was going to be a revolution. He understood that. He understood Jesus as the Messiah. But he didn't understand that Jesus' revolution was a revolution of love and peace and hope, and it was nonviolent. And Judas was saying, if I can turn him over, it's going to start the thing. He's going he's to start this battle. He's got a zealot with him. He's got these strong fishermen. And by the way, Peter missed it also, because when Jesus is arrested, Peter draws a sword and thinks, it's time to get it on. Let's do this thing. And I think the grief that Judas felt was recognizing he had totally screwed up and he still missed the point. He didn't understand that Jesus was going to be raised from the dead. He wasn't listening. He chose the wrong parade. Which parade are we part of? Because it takes real commitment. And then Thursday comes along And Thursday, in my life, might be the hardest because it's so close. Anybody ever had an Allsup's burrito? (laughs) Man, you grow up in southeastern New Mexico or really outside of the Mesilla Valley in western New Mexico, you love yourself some Allsup's, chimichangas especially. (laughs) Thursday feels like somebody giving you a bite of their chimichanga. It's just enough to make you mad. You're so close, but it's not quite there. For Jesus, Thursday rolls around. This is what happens on Thursday. While they were eating, he took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, And all of them drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly I tell you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. On Thursday, we learn our hardest lesson. Because the people that we if we were Jesus, would never invite to the meal, were invited. You know who was there? Judas. And Jesus says at that meal, he knows. He knows that the betrayal has already happened. But he invited him anyway. And he says at that meal that it's not just you, Peter, who's going to deny me, but all of you. And they're all invited. He knows who they are. He knows what they're about. And he still invites them. 
And beyond that, Jesus walks out of that room and gets himself arrested. Thursday of this week feels like acceptance. I hope I spelled that right. Acceptance of people who are different. And you know what we call Thursday? Maundy Thursday. When I was living in northwest Texas, I, I never knew if they really understood that this is Maundy because they say Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And I was like, are you saying Maundy or Monday? You know that happens on a Thursday, right? Maundy means mandate. What was the mandate that Jesus gave? Jesus said, love one another the way that I have loved you. It wasn't, it wasn't a suggestion. It was a command. Love one another. Love the people who will deny you and betray you. Love the people who are different than you. Love the people who are coming in on the wrong parade and meeting in the middle. Love them to the point of death even death on a cross. See, this is a whole story, and this is just part of it, because we still have Friday, and we still have Saturday, and we still have Sunday, and then we have the following Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and it just goes on and on and on and on. And then we come into the story, and we get to choose which parade are we going to be part of? Which side are we going to take? Are we going to be on the side of love and acceptance and forgiveness and grace and hope? Are we going to do something that matters? Because I hate the idea that it's very possible that what we're doing right now doesn't matter. That I hate the idea to think about possibly Jesus walks through Las Cruces this particular day and walks into all of the churches and goes, This this is what it's about. I hope that what's happening is we come here to realize we're not the only crazy people. That we're, the, we're not the only ones who believe in hope. That we're not the only ones who believe in peace. That we're not the only ones that believe in love. That we're not the only ones who are willing to take action, even if it makes us die on a Friday. What if we are? What if we're missing the point and we're not, we don't get it? That's such a shame because Jesus showed us this week what it looks like to live in the way of Jesus. My prayer is that this week, this Holy Week, we'll get it. That a fire will be lit within us that will not fade away and won't go out and, and it will just build and build and build as we come together. And that we will come back to this place next Sunday knowing I'm not the only crazy person. Because there's really a reason to hope. You watch the news and they're going to say there's no reason to hope. Pick a side, left, right, Republican, Democrat, whatever. You're going to fight each other and there's no reason to hope. And I want to say that's a lie. We're so much bigger than that. This movement that we're part of is so much bigger than that. It's so much bigger than ourselves and our time and our nation. Jesus came to save the world. And we get to be part of that. May we go and do and live wholeheartedly into this kingdom.
In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.